Have you ever lost something that was very important to you? Have you ever done that? Have you ever lost something that was extremely important? How did it make you feel? We, we could even, you know, what I talked about just a moment ago, those that might be grieving or mourning, that might be what you, yes, I, I lost a loved one. But generally, when we think of losing something, it's, it's a little less significant, but yet there's generally an urgency to it. I don't know about you, but I get frustrated. I generally like to check all the spots where my keys or my wallet may have been. I know none of you can identify with this, but I, I will go and I, see, I, I think we should have a hook by the back door, but we don't, okay? She's just telling me, go ahead. And I would put my keys there and I would never lose my keys. But, but my wallet, sometimes the same thing. Occasionally my cell phone, although I'm accused of having an umbilical cord between me and the cell phone. Um, but but I, I'll, I'll rush through the house and I will look everywhere that, that it possibly could be trying to retrace my steps. And inevitably the next sentence out of my mouth is, honey, what did you do with my keys? Is anybody else like that? If you can't find them, it's not your fault, okay? Someone else has moved those keys. We're going to go to Luke chapter 15 this morning, starting at verse 8. We're in the midst of our series called Lost. Look at verse 8, if you would, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What I want to do is I want to pick out four little phrases out of this portion of scripture and talk about those this morning, talking about how much am I worth. The first phrase that I want to take is simply, a woman has 10 silver coins. Now that might seem like a very insignificant part of this story, but I believe that Jesus included it for a reason. You see, these 10 coins that this woman had more than likely were bound together in a headdress for a woman to wear on her forehead beginning on her wedding day and then wearing it every day thereafter. She would wear it as a a piece of jewelry and she would even wear it while she slept. The the coins could be a, a dowry from her father, something that her dad would give to her before she would get married so that she could have that and keep that as literally her sole possession on the face of the earth would be those 10 coins. She would enter into that marriage contract and that would be all that she has to her name. We call that a dowry. That, that's been common even uh, in the earliest parts of our American history. But I didn't know that those coins could also be what is called a dower, which is a gift from her husband on the day of her marriage. Christian author Priscilla Shear, she says that when a Jewish girl married, 
she began to wear a headband of ten silver coins to signify that she was now a wife. It was a Jewish version, I want you to get this, of a modern wedding ring, and it would be considered a calamity for her to lose one of those coins. In the fall of 1982, I made one of the most important journeys of my life up to that point. I left home in Janesville, Wisconsin, and I traveled about six hours up I-90 and then to I-94, all the way to Minneapolis, and I began college there at North Central Bible College, and that's where God had called me to go before I would go into the ministry. And while I was there, I decided that after my first semester, or my first year, I would stay in Minneapolis um, and work and, 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 you know, just keep going, take a class and keep doing those things. Well, I, I, I sort of had my eye on this girl, okay? I was, I was uh, 19 years old, and I noticed that my freshman year, one of the things that really scared me, I couldn't believe how many guys were already making plans to be married, and they were living in the dorm, okay? They were kids living in the dorm, and they're engaged to get married. So after my freshman year, I, there's this girl that I've been, and she, every day she would come at about 4 o'clock to pick up her mail um, in the student union. And my summer dorm room was right over the entryway to that, that main part of the building that led into the student union. So I would make sure that every day at 4 o'clock that I was in my room looking out my window so that I could talk to her. Oh, I didn't go down to the student union. That'd be creepy, okay? I sat on the third floor and yelled down to her, okay? That's not creepy. Big difference, I just want to say. And so we, we, and we went to the same church, and, and, and a lot of our friends went to church there, and, and most of our friends, they actually stayed in the cities over the summer, and, and we were just kind of a ragtag bunch of kids. And, and I decided, um, you know, after summer kind of got started, that I, you know, I really wanted to, uh, you know, to ask this girl out. And so I, I got up on my nerve, and my friends actually were even daring me. Brad Wickersheim, I don't know if you knew that, honey. Um, he said, you'll never do it. And I said, yes, I will. Watch me. And so I said, um, I said hey, uh, to this, this lovely girl, I said, um, would you like to go out to see a movie with me? And, and it, just to date myself, it was Return of the Jedi, okay? <laughs> All right? <clears throat> it was Return of the Jedi. And, and she admitted uh, later uh, that she didn't really even like me, um, but I really played it cool, okay? I really did. I'm, guys, I'm being honest, okay? I, 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 after, after we went to, for dinner and a movie, I swung by the dorm, and I'm a compulsive toothbrusher, so I brush my teeth. She thought I was going to try to kiss her, and I never did, and then she's thinking, what's wrong with me? I had her right where I wanted her, okay? <laughs> I did. 
didn't call her for like a month, you know. Um, she came back from, from camp, you know, she was counseling kids at camp, and I was the guy designated from our group of friends to pick her up, and so I picked her up, and I had flowers and a card for her, and the rest, you know, is just, well, no, wait, it's not all history yet, but, but so I, I, I like this girl, and, and so it got to the point that fall where I actually remember telling my dad on the phone, okay, this is bad, <clears throat> I said, Dad, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get married. Okay, I'm a sophomore in college. I'm telling my father. I'm not asking him what he thinks. Okay, I'm telling him, Dad, I think I'm going to get married. <clears throat> and I could only imagine the fear running through my dad's mind, okay, <clears throat> because I now have kids. Um, and so I, I confided in this, this lovely young lady's identical twin sister. And I said, hey, you know, I, I really, I, I really, I love your sister, and, uh, and I, I, I want to marry her, and I need to get a ring. And she said, well, I work right down the hall from a jewelry place, okay? And it was on the seventh floor of the Plymouth building in downtown Minneapolis. And so we go there and we're walking down the hall and, and there's a doorbell, okay? You ring the doorbell, there's glass walls, but they, they let you, and it was sketchy, okay? We're going to go buy a ring and this isn't even a real store. Okay, she knows a guy is kind of what it is. Do you know people like that that know a guy? That's what this was. So we, we went into the, the quote-unquote jewelry store, and the, the guy says, how did you find us? I'm like, this isn't very good customer service. I'm not having a good experience here. And I, I said, my sister-in-law works down the hall, and she told me about it, and she says, yeah, I work at the, the, the place down the hall. And, and so uh, the guy says, people just don't walk in the door. They don't even know that we exist. This is, we don't advertise. And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I, can I buy a ring? Is that even possible, you know, in your way of thinking? And so the guy, the guy taught me everything that I needed to know about buying, not a ring, but buying a diamond, okay? Taught me everything that I needed to know. And several weeks later, I returned to that store to see the guy with a young lady that was pretty excited. And we sat down in that office and they brought out trays upon trays upon trays upon trays of settings. And she went through every single one. I'm like, drool coming out of my mouth. I'm sleeping in the corner, and she's just like, it's like she had five Red Bulls, you know. She's just, she's just absolutely got it, you know. She's on fire, man, and, and she tries everyone on, and then she's got to try them on a second time, you know, and, and, and finally, finally, she said, oh, I, this is the one. So then they put all those trays away. Then they bring out the little boxes, and in the little boxes, there are, it's, it's tissue paper that's folded up into like a little envelope. And on each envelope, it, it says, uh, in pencil, it's like, 
uh, how many points and what the color and the, you know, and the clarity and the cut and all of that stuff. And they begin, they take those out. They say, here's one. And they put the ring on, on your, your, the girl that you're with, right? And then they set that stone in the setting so she can see it. So we were there for a while doing that and then you know, we found the one we wanted and I, I, I said, at, at, and, and her nickname is Vani, those of you that know her, but I said, Vani, um, would you do me a favor? Would you, would you go out in the other room now? So she goes out in the other room because I, I gotta be the man, right? I'm, I'm 19, I gotta be the man. And I, I, I make the deal for the ring. And then every week or so after that, we would come back to that little shop and I would pull out my wallet and I would make a payment on that ring. And they would give it to her to let her look at. And she would put it on, okay? All right, and she would do this. Are you with Am I right? Am I right? She would do that. I can still remember how she looked at that ring. I want her to look at me the way she looked at that ring. Okay, but I, I still, I remember that feeling. I remember what that was like. And, and she, if, if, I would say she was over the moon. That's how I would describe her feeling. Every woman who was within the sound of Jesus' voice, the moment he said, suppose a woman had 10 coins, boom, she was right with him. You, you see what I'm saying? Culturally, he spoke to half the room, and it was half the room that was not recognized as being important. Jesus literally cut through the culture there. They were the overlooked. They were the underrepresented. While I've been, well, while Jesus was talking, undoubtedly, I can imagine some women trying to nonchalantly reach up and touch their 10 coins. You see what I'm saying? You know how I know this because some of you ladies, while I've been talking, you actually, you reached down and you touched your ring and you started moving it so that diamond was straight up and down. Okay? You might have even done this when nobody was looking. Trying to hit the, the light just right so you can, oh, that's, yeah, that's it. Oh, I just love that. <clears throat> Come on. Are you with me? I, am, I, am I crazy? I don't think so. I mean, I could be, but not about this. <clears throat> Jesus was speaking a message that was relevant to their culture. He was illustrating the truth, and he was talking to them about their value before God. The next thing she said, it, it says is that she loses one of them. Now, how much could that one coin be worth? One silver coin. And, and if we cut, you know, I, I'll just save us the time and just say that <clears throat> that. The, 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 the bottom line is that one of those coins, which was a drachma, a Greek drachma, it was worth about a day's minimum wage, okay? And I can't believe this, but minimum wage in Michigan is nine and a quarter, okay? <clears throat> I remember detasseling corn for three bucks an hour, okay? And I know that there's some of you, Harv, do you remember what your hourly wage, the first hourly wage was that you made? It's been so long. That was, was that when there was uh, Indian, uh, you know, it was like, what, what are they, you know, the beads? <laughs> yeah. 
Man, I'll tell you, that's, I, I, I cringe on nine and a quarter, you know? I mean, I can remember when a $10 an hour job, you were really bringing it in. I remember McDonald's working almost 50 hours a week for $3.10 an hour and thinking that a nickel raise was really just a haul, you know? It was amazing. But if we go with the Michigan minimum wage, that coin would have been worth $74. And all of those coins together would have been worth $740. And that's not much, especially in light of the fact, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like it's a crumb or anything, but, it, but realizing that's all she had. Okay, that was all that was hers. And that one coin was worth $74. It's not very much. It was the emotional value of the coins and the meaning behind that emotional value that established what it was really worth to her. Now I jump forward. It was the summer of 1996. We're preparing to transition from a suburb of Milwaukee and the church that we're at there to the church out in Pennsylvania. And it's a, a warm August day. It's the church picnic day. And, and behind the church in the parking lot was this massive field. And we set up a huge tents. And I remember that day leading worship. And it's so funny because the thing that sticks out in my mind, it was so humid, my guitar wouldn't stay in tune very well. And, and I just, you know, I'm rem recalling all of these things. And after the, the service is over, after the picnic is over, my wife, comes up to me and she says, Kevin, I lost my diamond. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Now remember what I do when I lose my keys? I said, did we, do, do, let's, go, let's go look. Let's go, come, let's go, okay, where were you sitting? And we looked where she was sitting. Where did you go? Where did you, and we're looking all those places and I'm like, what did you do with your diamond? It's not like she stood there and took it off and chucked it into the field. The diamond is gone. That next week, the Ranger boys on Wednesday night, they go out into that grass and they looked for an hour just to try to find that diamond. Five years later, as the church grew, they built a new building, had to expand their parking lot, and guess where that parking lot is? Right over that diamond. Man, that just hurts me even to this day. Not so much because of the emotional connection, but I'm cheap, okay? There's just... <laughs> Some Bible scholars believe that the coins that this woman had that they, and that every wife had, that they were to provide financial security in case her husband died, it's not much, okay? It's not much security, Others believe that it's purely symbolic of her position as a wife. Either way, the coins didn't carry much actual literal value. They were significant because of the, the value, the emotional value that she placed on them. It, and, and, and if I was really honest with you, my wife's first ring was not expensive, okay? It was not, to me, it was really expensive at the time. But it was not expensive. It was the emotional value, the emotional connection that made it important. It had sentimental value. Then it says that she searches carefully. 
realizing that she lost the coin, the woman does three things. Number one, she lights a lamp. The first thing that I want you to realize is that she doesn't have electricity. Okay? We cannot, we can't conceive of this. Now, I know that there are some youpers living without electricity right now. I'll say by choice or by circumstance, but I, I do, there are remote parts of the UP where people don't have electricity. I, they're at the end of the line, and they want one cabin past the end of the line. That's just them, okay? Maybe they have a generator, or maybe they have a camp with oil lamps, but they don't have electricity. And all I can say is, how am I supposed to shave without electricity, okay? I can't imagine by candlelight, having to shave. She searches carefully. She lights a lamp. Now, if it were daytime, she would have opened the windows. It doesn't say that. She lights a lamp. More than likely, it is toward dusk or even it's in the evening when she realizes that she has lost it. The corners under the bed of the entire, everything would be dark. Could you imagine so urgently trying to search and everything is dark? You can't see. She lights a lamp and, and the lamp really only casts a, a, a small glow in a very tiny space around you. She needed light. She needed the full power of every bit of light that she could get to search for what was lost and to reveal that lost thing to her. John chapter 3 and verses 19 and 20. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Friends, things that are lost don't necessarily want to come out into the light. The light must be brought to bear upon the darkness. And again, in John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. That coin didn't wander away like the sheep did last week. That coin, by the force of gravity, fell to the floor and rolled to a place and then just literally lay there. It could do nothing to help itself. It couldn't go anywhere. It couldn't shout out. It was simply lost. And that woman needed a light. In our world today, Jesus is that light that reveals those lost things. And Jesus is passionate about finding those lost things. And no lost thing has to stay that way. Secondly, she sweeps the house. How many of you know there's different levels of sweeping? Do you know that? Do you understand that? Okay. How about this Swiffer thing? Okay. I, I'm not a fan of Swiffers. Okay. I'm just saying. I'm just not. Swiffers are like... Ah, people are going to be here in 10 minutes. And you just take that thing out and you just do this, okay? And what do you, what do you, you're only hitting the spots that are open, right? Okay, you're, you're, you're not, you, it's just, it's real fast and okay, it, all right, it looks good. But then there's the kind of sweeping where you, you take all the rugs outside, okay? I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rug beater, okay? I am, I, I swing, I, man, I smack the, the railings with those rugs to get the, and then there's the, you know, you move all of the furniture off of those areas. You get it really cl as clear as you possibly can. You know what I'm talking about? 
You can, you can sweep or what I have, I found vacuuming the tile floor actually gets more dirt than, than sweeping it, and then you mop it. Now that in, my, that, in my book, that's really, that's clean, okay? I want you to realize that this woman, she didn't just look under stuff. She just didn't take a Swiffer and do a quick little thing. She turned the house upside down. When's the last time you moved your bed in your bedroom? That is nasty, okay? I, that's nasty. There, I think there's a commercial out right now where the guy finds his high school retainer, you know, under the couch. The guy's like 35. When you move that, it's like a quarter inch of dust, okay? It is gnarly under there. She is flipping beds. She is moving everything that she can so that she can completely sweep that house so that she doesn't miss a single spot. Ezekiel 34, 16, God says this, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. And those who are looking to be found, I believe that, they, that, that, that literally the lost who are not looking to be found can be found. But God says in Romans 3.11, Paul says, there is no one who seeks God. That coin wasn't seeking to be found. The lost in our world may not be seeking to be found, but I want you to know that just like the woman was searching, someone, the person of Jesus, is searching for the lost passionately searching for the lost. Literally everything that can be done. That lost coin, is, it's not sitting in the dark hoping to be found. It doesn't know any better. It's, it's a coin, it's just laying there and the lost may be the same way. Number three, she searches carefully. You ever tell your kids, go get that off the dresser for me? And they come back, I can't find it. And you know that it's right there in the middle in the front. It's pathetic. I'm talking about your kids now, ladies, not your husband. Your kids. I've done that. She literally used everything available to her, every means necessary to discover the possible good that lay hidden or seemingly lost. That's Eliot's commentary. I love that. Let me read it again. She uses all available means for discovering the possible good that lies hidden or seemingly lost. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. She searches carefully because her desire is to be restored to that lost coin, not because of its monetary value, but because of her emotional connection. It's all her desire. It's nothing of the coin's desire. And then finally, she finds it and she rejoices. Just, uh, I want to say, two or three years ago, Benjamin and I got an invitation uh, to come and to hunt down in Lansing. Worship team, you can come on up. Um, we, we were going to go goose hunting in, in, down there uh, on a, a really nice big farm and, and uh, stay with the family. Um, and it was just, I mean, it was spectacular. And so the first thing that we had to do when we get down there is you got to take your layout blinds and you got to brush them out. You got to fill them with corn stalks so that when the geese come over, they don't see your camel pattern. All they see is corn. Okay, so <clears throat> we were doing that and, and we started hunting and right away, I, Benjamin uh, got a goose right away. So we were pretty excited. 
And at some point later that day, he says, and he was, I mean, he was literally, I mean, this rocked him. He said, I can't find my wedding ring. I mean, he, he was like, they, they'd only been married, you know, I don't know, a couple of years, and, and he can't find his wedding ring. And, and I was like, well, where did you lose it? And so we started <laughs> doing my, I, I only got one play, guys, come on. <laughs> I'm going to go back to what works for me in the past. Honey, I am so sorry. I just need to apologize. We find, we find, no, no comments, please. Uh, if she finds out she has a mic, I'm really in trouble. We go back to the spot where we, we had it narrowed down, and it was where we brushed out the blinds. And we searched up and down, couldn't find them. Just, it, it was, he was heartbroken. And now he's got to call his bride. And I did ask for permission to tell this story. Calls his bride and says, honey, I lost my ring. It wasn't an expensive ring. It was the emotional connection. It was his emotion. And, and again, it's not like he stood in the cornfield and took it off and just chucked it, you know. The farmers, he said, hey, I know somebody with a metal detector. I'll get him in here and we'll find it, you know. He, he had to call his wife. It just broke his heart because he knew how sad she would be. And we, we kept hunting for the couple of days that we were there. And the afternoon that we were scheduled to leave, we were pulling up the driveway. And I said, hey, let's get out of the truck one more time. And let's stop in that spot where we think we lost it. And let's just comb it one more time. And we did the best, the best search that we possibly could. We took row by row, and I mean, we're turning over every leaf and every stalk and absolutely everything that we can. And literally, we were just, it was at the end where we thought, that's it, it's not here. And all of a sudden, I saw it. And I grabbed it, and I said, I found your ring. I want you to understand that that's what God feels like. It's not the monetary value, it's the emotional connection. It's the fact that Jesus loves you. I've learned that the Greek drachma in, in, in Greek history and philosophy represents the human soul. I want you to think about that. That coin represents the human soul. And I said, boy, Lord, that really makes a lot of sense because what you're doing is you're saying that when we're lost, that you're searching for us because every soul is valuable to you. And you're not giving up but you're lighting a light. You're using everything at your disposal. Move the furniture. Move the rugs. Don't just give it a, a quick swiffer, but really search for it. And that's how he feels about you and I. If we had a coin, right now you could look at that coin and if it's a penny and there's a face on it, whose face is it? Lincoln's face. If you have a nickel, whose face is on the nickel? 
This one you're probably not going to get. I'm going to have to look to make sure. Thomas Jefferson. On a dime is Franklin Roosevelt. On the quarters, Washington. On the 50-cent pieces, Kennedy. It's the essence of the king that is stamped on the coin. And the essence of the king of kings is stamped on your spirit. It is stamped on your soul. And what that stamp means is it's mine. If I'm the president and you're walking around with a coin with my face on it, it's mine. And I believe that God looks at you and he sees the stamp of his image upon you. And he says, you are mine. You belong to me. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created him. We belong to him. You may be lost, but you still belong to him. You may be unable to move yourself closer to God, but he's looking for you. You may feel all alone, but you're not. He's aware of where you are, and he is looking for you. He's making available. He's using everything that's at his disposal to find you. Psalm 100, I read it last week, verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people. I'm going to invite you to stand with me all over this place and out in the hub as well. Father, I pray for the one here today that feels like they're lost. That lostness may, may take a form of that nobody cares about what I'm going through. It may be that they feel like they're far from you. It may be that they feel like they can do nothing to change their circumstance. They may feel that they're alone in the darkness. That no one is aware, no one cares. There's no way to get back to a, a good place where there is light. And I pray, Lord, today that the power of your Holy Spirit would begin to speak to them right now and say, my child, I have stamped my image on you. You belong to me. I have not left you. I have not abandoned you. I am searching for you even now. No matter what corner you may have rolled into, no matter what dust bunny may be covering you and hiding you, no matter how much darkness is around you, I am searching for you with the light of heaven. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus, the light of the world, to shine into darkness. Why? So that the lost might be found. Friends, today, if that's you, if you say, Pastor, I, I, just, I just have that sense of feeling lost that I, no matter what I do, I can't be found today. Whatever the circumstance is, 
I'd like to pray with you. I'm going to invite you, as the worship team leads us in this closing song, to just come and find a place of prayer here in this place and just begin to pour your heart out to God. And I believe that he is here right now. I believe that he is bringing all of heaven to bear, that he is moving heaven and earth right now to meet with you. And I know that because he sent his son Jesus, the best that heaven has to offer. So Father, in the next couple of moments here, I pray that whether it's one or whether it's a hundred, that you would connect with the hearts of those that have that feeling of being lost and that in its place you would put a sense of their value. How much am I worth? And Father, I believe that they are worth all of heaven because God sent his son to die for them.